We have some people I know are part of this church. Uh, I don't know how many of you here today that um, a few of you have relocated in your life, not just from one town to another, but um, perhaps from one nation to another. And I've never had to do that. I've visited other nations, not a whole lot, but I've traveled a little bit. And it's always fun to imagine what it might be like to live in a different environment, a different country, a different culture. And maybe once you're there, you can't wait to get back home. Or maybe you get there and you think, boy, I just want to stay here. <laughs> That's usually maybe a mixture of those two things. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a extremely poor culture? And when I mean extreme, I mean to the point where you don't know where the next meal is coming from. Now that factor alone, think about the ripple effects of that reality in any household, in any person's life. If you're living in a community, a culture, a country where you literally don't know where your next meal is going to come from, and and that is the status of every day. Not like, well, we're a little short this week. You know, I'm waiting for a check to come in at the end of the month. No, this is, for now, for as far as you can see ahead, and, and even looking back, food was hard to come by. What happens when that's the reality of a nation? Well, people get what they can, they do what they have to do to help with their family. Stealing and crime become rampant. And let's assume for the moment that because that's the status of so many people, there isn't really much police protection for those. And the police that are there might be bought and sold by those committing the crimes. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in in that kind of situation, no one does. No one does. Who would, who, would want to, who would choose that? And then if you could be somehow miraculously, prayerfully picked up and moved from that situation with your family and placed into a nation, a community, a culture that is safe, that has opportunity and education, and there's going to be food every day. You're going to have a chance to work and get paid well for it, paid fairly for it. You can connect with people. Isn't that what we basically want in our community, in our lives? After living in the new setting for a while, in that very blessed situation, especially you know, compared to where you came from, you might find yourself having carried with you some unwanted attitudes and practices even of having lived in that impoverished situation where something where when you grew up, if you got to take it when you can, if it's yours or not, because you might die otherwise. But now you don't need to do that, but wow. Stealing here is easy. No one's thinking about it. I could get away with it. Wow. I could, I could make a fortune on this. I don't have to work that hard. See, that's what can happen when the old way 
still hangs on even though we're living in a new way. This is what Paul's writing about. He's writing about, in, in the sixth chapter of Romans, going from a something called sin and death, and all of that means the reign of sin and death, and then going into the reign of grace. That's why I tried the best I could with the kids to have King Levi, <laughs> to have a little example of, 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 the, of a reign, of a kingdom. And I thought of that phrase today, and today's message is, is going to use that, those words. This comes from uh, last week when um, the reign of grace comes up at the end of the fifth chapter, those three words, the reign of grace. And that, those words really grabbed me. And for as much as I preach on these passages and have used and said the word grace countless times in my life, and, and of course I'm thankful for it, it's, it's the depth of that teaching about the reign of grace, the power of grace. And what that should do for our lives to be transported as believers in Jesus Christ from the reign of sin and death, the path to nowhere, into the reign of grace the reign of love, the, the, the reign of the ways of God with, with hope and peace. And yet, those old ways keep drawing us back. Harmful as they might be, we still get sucked back in. If we're not careful, if we're not prayerful. So let's see what Paul's teaching here in the sixth chapter of, of Romans. Life under the reign of grace. Let's start with the first four verses. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the, of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is speaking to two factions in the church in Rome, as I mentioned before, but you always have to keep that in view when you're reading Romans. There was a division between believers in Jesus who were of Jewish ancestry, Jewish people, and there was Gentile people, everyone else. They should be one in Christ. They should just knock down all those borders and differences and barriers, but they didn't. They weren't doing that, and they were at odds with one another. And Paul is trying to bring them together, which is really the main theme of this entire letter, how God has brought Jesus Christ to us into our world so that all people have the opportunity to be connected with the eternal God, not just one set of people, not just one set of conditions, that, you know, one set of rules. This is now the way of love from God through Christ given to us, waiting for us to respond. We celebrated that last week, what Jesus did on the cross and then by rising to life has created an open playing field for everybody. And yet they kept going back to this divisive thing. 
So in that first section of verses there, it talks about baptism. Now, when you hear that word, you'll probably think of your own personal baptism if you have been baptized. Perhaps you'll think about, um, and, and it might be from a different settings. If we were to go around the room and talk about what that word means to you and what it meant to you growing up and how you were taught about it. Some of you might think of baptism and christening. There's a baby and there's a, it, 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 it's a big ceremony and there's a party and people get excited about it because the christening of the baby. It might be a believer baptism where you're, you're an adult or at least perhaps a, a person a little older that understands something about the gospel and, and the teaching about baptism. And, uh, but even then it could be different. Like when I was baptized, I didn't go to a swimming pool or a river or a baptismal or any of that. I went, I was 12 years old and I came to the, to the front of the church and I bowed down and, and, and the pastor just took some water and, you know, dripped it on me and, you know, that's what happened to the hair. <laughs> what was in that water? <laughs> Others, and this is the one I prefer, and I'll explain that in a moment. Others go to the baptismal, the river, or the pool, and are immersed completely. Down, back up. But you know what? Paul's not talking about any of those. He's not talking about how you do it, when you do it, what age you should be, what you say. All that stuff has been debated and continues to be debated <clears throat> in Christianity, and most of it unnecessarily debated. I'm not saying baptism isn't important, but the meaning is what Paul's talking about right here. The meaning of being baptized. <clears throat> baptized into the reign of grace. That's what it means. And that happened when Christ died and rose again. So when a person is used immersion baptism, I'm not saying it's more legitimate. It's all a matter of the heart, by the way. You can go through the motions of anything, and it looks nice on the outside, but if, it doesn't, if Christ doesn't have your heart, it doesn't matter how far they push you down. <laughs> you know? But when a person goes under the water, it is a sign, a, a, a symbol of Jesus going into the grave under and then coming up, you were rising up to a new life. So that is the meaning of baptism. So what are we being baptized into? Mentioned the Jewish believers in this church in Rome would recognize, and probably the Gentiles too, who had the Jewish scriptures that they had to, to be taught and to learn. They'd be very familiar, of course, with the Exodus. With Moses. And, and, and what happened with Moses, he, the, the people of, of Israel were in, in, lived as slaves. It lived in that impoverished kind of area, and, which is worse than the thing I described a moment ago. And wanted to be set free of their slavery. And God brought Moses as a leader and as a prophet and, and through miracles, through going before Pharaoh, 
Pharaoh finally released them, let them go, but only after the cost of his own son, the night of the Passover. But the next day, they're rejoicing, they're happy, they're grabbing everything, they're loading up their carts and wagons and donkeys and whatever else they might have had to go off into a mysterious new land, a whole nation of people. They didn't know where it was, what it was going to be just yet, but God's going to take them there. They're going to go to the mountain and pray first, and, and they're going to figure this out. But between there and there was this little place called the Red Sea, and they got to the shore. And then Pharaoh changed his mind. His heart was hardened, Scripture teaches. And he said, oh, that's it. I'm really mad. My son's gone. Your sons are gone. Let's go kill him." Got all the chariots and horses together, the whole army, marched toward those people who didn't have an army, not much of one compared to what the Egyptians had. And what did God do? All right, Moses, just just stand here and watch. Pick up that fancy stick so they can focus on something. And I'm going to make a way through. And the water parts. And there's walls of water on either side. And scripture tells us the, dry, the ground was dry with their feet as they walked that path to safety on the other side. And then before the soldiers were able to catch up to them, the water caved in. And all the Israelites were safe on the other side. And the land of slavery was behind them. There was slavery over here and freedom over here. And to get from slavery to freedom, they had to go under the water. Baptism. See, so much of Scripture, so much of these great stories are pointing to, are hints, uh, typology, if you want a big theological word, of what Jesus was going to do and to become and fulfill. So this nation of people, followers of God, worshipers of God, wanted to be set free from their bondage and slavery, and God miraculously provided that, but then to fully escape, they had to be baptized. They had to go under the water. They didn't actually get wet, but the idea, they were on the surface of the water, and they came out the other side in freedom. This is what Paul's talking about. This is your new identity. You don't have to live in the power of sin anymore. You don't have to live under the reign of sin anymore. You are now under the reign of grace. And you are loved and you are washed. And and whether or not you actually have been physically baptized, this is still true. Now, it's, it's important that we do physical baptism because we are acknowledging that that happened in me. We are acknowledging that, that this took place and it's scriptural. It's not like God's holding off and saying, well, I'm not, you know, I love you, I forgave you, you came to me, you repented, but I, you ain't getting forgiven until I wash you off in the, in the river or in the baptismal pool or drip on you or something like that. No, that's not God. But it's still, it's still important in the church to have visual reminders in our own lives, to have moments where we look back and say, yes, that was the moment that I understood in a deeper way. But there's going to be more moments where you understand too going forward, I hope. So baptism in its truest meaning has that kind of a depth to it. We've been baptized into the rain of grace. Let's move down to the fifth verse now. Your old identity under the reign of sin and death 
is over. For we have, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Set free from sin. Set free from the, the power of sin. And again, in this context, so, so you hear a word like baptism and you think understandably about, okay, there's water, there's a pool, whatever. You hear the word power of sin or a phrase power of sin and we instinctively think, oh, that's that thing where I'm really tempted. That's that, that draw to that stuff that I know I shouldn't do and I still end up there. No, that's not what he's talking about. We, because if that's true, then once you believe, as some would say, once you're baptized, then you should never sin again, right? I mean, I mean, I, anybody know anyone that's happened with? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> never sinned again? Hmm. Of course, we understand that that's not it. So, being set free from the power of sin doesn't mean that sin doesn't happen. What it means is the consequences of it, the ramification of it eternally is what's been changed, is what's been taken care of. I'm on a path to death living over here. And without... Turning to Christ, that's going to be my result. It's, it's, it's just, it's nowhere. I stay in darkness. When I believe, I am now set free from that punishment. Even when I sin, I'm still loved, like I asked the kids about a moment ago. Even when I mess up, I'm still loved. There's still consequences to pay for that. There's still pain that happens when I keep walking into the same dumb thing for the you know, thousandth dumb time. But in terms of my relationship with Christ, my identity with Christ as a follower of Jesus, that doesn't change because he died once and for all. He doesn't have to do it again. So if I think, and this is important, if I think that after having repented and turned to Jesus and even been baptized and all of that, and I got the teaching and I got it right, then I find myself back in the gutter, literally or figuratively, because of some sin in my life, oh, I got to go back and do it all over again. Nope. You see, that's what the, that's what the Israelites thought. They got on the other side, and if you know the story of, of Exodus and beyond and into Deuteronomy, they got, they got cranky. They got tired. They, they didn't want to wait around for Moses to come off that mountain. I mean, what on earth are him and God talking about all this time anyway? 
And what they want to do? Let's go back there. Let's go back to Egypt. Worse yet, let's make an idol. Breaking one of the commandments that the first one just about that God's putting on the list. He's going to share with them. They're in the process of breaking. Let's go back there. It was so much better there. Let's turn it around. Of course we're not going to do that. Why should we want to go back? We are forgiven. So let's live like we are. And that's why I'm using this word identity today. It's, your identity is, is how you see yourself. And one indicator that you're still kind of camping out or maybe still got one foot in the, in the reign of sin is that sin becomes central to your life. And, 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 but that looks, and, and it's more subtle than you think. Obviously, if I'm still walking back in the same sin all the time, and, and mostly I don't care about that I am, that, that's a big problem. But there's also the focus of the struggle itself. Like, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, Lord, I'm fighting. I got to get over the sin. Okay, he wants you to overcome things. He does want you to, to tra- be transformed. But then what about when you are victorious from sin just by your own personal willpower. You see, then it's still you. Then it's still the law. Then it's still you succeeding. Then it's all yours. And it's really not his. So that's an indicator that you're still hanging out there in the sin zone and your identity is, I'm going to make it, God. Don't you see that I'm good enough? Rather than, Lord, I know that I'm not good enough for you. Thank you for loving me. Now help me with this stuff I'm still messing up on. It's a big difference. And sometimes you can get, you can at times get pretty good on this self-improvement thing. I'm not saying self-improvement programs aren't good. I'm just saying the, the, at, at a heart level, when your identity is, look what I did for me And I'm the strong one. I am my own God because I took care of sin myself. Well, then you don't need Jesus. Going going back into the sin zone, into the sin reign, is like the Israelites going back to Egypt. Now, they didn't, and it was a very painful experience for them to not go there. You can read more about that in Exodus. But... We don't go back into sin and then say, Jesus, I'm sorry all over again. Do you want to go to the cross for me once again? No, it said the death he died, he died once and for all. Verse 10. Once and for all. Believe it. That's hard. Because this identity wants to keep on proving it. This identity says... Jesus, thank you. I'm sorry. And, and I feel bad, and I have to make things right and wherever I can, and, and, I, and help me to overcome, help me to keep going. But I also don't want the sin to be the focus either. Uh, the success or failure of that. I want to honor you in good ways, and we'll see what that looks like in a moment. So this new identity, getting over this one, because that one's done in Christ. Verse 12. <clears throat> 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You don't have to. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. So sin will no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Your new identity under the reign of grace. That's what it looks like. Thinking differently about who God is and what Christ has done, who you are in Christ, and how that connects with other people. Please notice there, it says about not letting sin reign in your body, but, there's a, but what does he say? Take that same part of your body, the hands that got you in trouble, and put those hands to good use. Those feet that rush into evil... Take those feet into places that are going to honor God and, and, and give of yourself to help other people. See, we don't just sit around and say, well, i got to stop sinning, got to stop sinning. Well, get busy doing good. Maybe the sin will go away. It sure helps. It really does. you got less time to sin when you're doing good for others. This theme comes out in a lot of Paul's writings. And um, in Colossians chapter 3, and I love this chapter, um, but there's also others. I won't read all of them, but you can see this in, in Ephesians 4. You can see this in Galatians 5. This, this change that, that takes place within us when we continue to trust God, when we continue to, to believe that we are forgiven, and what that means, the, 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 the impact, the ramifications of that. So I'm, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It sounds a little bit different in, in, in a good way. And so listen. You can follow along if you want to. This is Colossians chapter 3, but listen to this message about your identity reigned by sin versus your identity reigned by grace. Okay. Since you have been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, your identity, is revealed in this world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is a time to get rid of anger. Rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Deeds, Put on your new nature to be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. 
Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. To live in the reign of grace and to continually step away from, put behind the reign of sin. It doesn't happen overnight. It definitely doesn't happen automatically. You're going to make mistakes. You'll have the the three steps forward, two steps back experiences and, and areas in your life, but keep going in the right direction. And it's going to be hard. When I talked about the Israelites going from that awful life of slavery into a life of freedom, I think one of the reasons they started to look back to the good old days of slavery, which is a ridiculous thing to say or think, isn't it? But one of the reasons was it got hard. There was work to do. And a different kind of work, a good work, but it wasn't easy to follow God. It wasn't easy. He never said that it would be. We want to live a life that is blessed, don't we? Do you? You want to have a, a life that is blessed by God. What does that look and sound like? And I'm going to wrap it up with this, another familiar passage. Um, and this is Jesus' words in what's been entitled the Sermon on the Mount which covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in that sermon is, is many things he touches on, but what he begins with in the fifth chapter of Matthew is the framework for what he's going to say for the next three chapters. So, so everything that you read in the Sermon on the Mount should get funneled through the Beatitudes, they're called. And I'm going to read again from the New Living Translation the familiar but very important ways that the reign of grace will bless us if we act out in, in these ways. Experiencing the blessings of life under the reign of grace involves this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Did you hear anything easy there? Did you hear anything pain-free? I heard a lot of good things. I heard a lot of blessing to yourself and to others. 
And so when we live in the reign of grace, we're not just seeking out blessing, we are becoming the blessing. And when we do so, sometimes we have to do the hard work of standing beside someone who's mourned, is mourning, and don't we know what that looks like right now here in our own church in Bushkill? It's hard, but we need to do it. We want to do it because of love. It's hard to show humility in a world filled with pride. It's a lot of work to stand up against injustice. It's a lot of work to be merciful to people and to work for peace. And in all of these things, you could end up being persecuted for doing the right things. See, blessing isn't just, I know Jesus now. Wow, give it to me, Lord. (laughs) Come on, lay it on me. Well, he wants to, but all right, Paul. You see that person over there that needs some help that you can help them with? Let's start there. And then we'll see about the blessing. You'll know it. It'll be there. Because it's no longer focused on me and what I want. It's focused on others. And in helping others, I become better. I become the, the new identity that he called me into becoming all along. But if I sit around just waiting to be blessed, then I'm going to be waiting a long time. Because I got hands, I got feet, I got voice. I'm going to use for his glory. I hope you will too. Father, bless your word that it may go forth in our lives. And help us to see our new identity that is found only in you. And to honor that identity with what we do and the decisions we make. And experience the blessing of helping other people. In Jesus' name, amen.